Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to John chapter 13. We're going to begin here in verse 1. Jesus knew that the night before Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side. All throughout his time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. And now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. That sentence there in your Bible, you might have, Uh, It's probably written that he loved them until the very end. That word end there is the word telos, which denotes, the word denotes um, fulfillment or a totality. That word love, we're going to talk about a lot this morning, is the word agape, which is the God kind of love or God-like love. It means means, um, self-sacrificing, self-giving love. So what this scripture is saying here is it's the last night before Jesus is going to be be crucified. This is last night with the disciples. And it's telling us that throughout his time here on earth, that he fully and totally loved them with the fullest measure of God-like love. There was nothing that love could do that he didn't do already. As I was reading this, I had the thought that every interaction we see with Jesus and his disciples is the full measure of love being poured out on them. Every interaction, Jesus was giving the full measure of agape, Christ-like, God-like love. So he loved them fully to the very end. Before the evening meal had begun, the accuser had already planted betrayal into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now Jesus was fully aware the Father had placed all things under his control, for he had come from God and was about to go back to be with him, go back to God. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer robe and took a towel and wrapped it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' dirty feet and dry them with his towel. I love this this portion of scripture because we get to kind of peer into the mind of Christ here. Of all that he's, he's thinking, what's going through his head in this moment. He's realizing again that he knows that this is going to be his last night on earth. It's his last moments with his disciples. He knows that Judas has already been compromised by the accuser. That it's already been planted in his heart to go and to betray Jesus. He knows that's already happened and yet he's sharing a meal with this betrayer. So he knows that's going on. I love this this next thing that it says. It says that he also is fully aware that all authority in heaven and earth has been handed over to him. 
that he's not just has the authority of the king of a king, he has the authority of the king of kings. He's not just a commander over an army, he's a commander over all of creation and all of the heavenly armies. All authority has been given over to him. And in this moment where he realizes it's his last moments on earth, he knows Judas has already been compromised, and he realizes that he has the full measure of the authority of the Father. He can do whatever he wants. And do you know what he chooses to do? He grabs a towel and a water basin, and he goes in front of the first disciple, and he bends down, and he begins to wash their feet. Then he moves over to the next disciple, and he begins to wash their feet. In that crowd would have been Judas, the accuser, Peter, the one who's about to deny him three times, Thomas, who we know is later on going to doubt the resurrection of Jesus. And what does the Lord do? What does Jesus do with all of this authority? He serves. He grabs a towel and a water basin. And on the last night he has with his disciples, he demonstrates one more act of self-giving love. With every dip of the towel, Jesus removes every ounce of entitlement that we may have. Just when we think we're too good for something. Here is the son of God. With all of the authority in the cosmos. And what does he do? He washes feet. In verse 6. After Jesus has gone through the 11 disciples. He comes to Peter. And we see this interaction with Jesus and Peter. It says, but when Jesus got to Simon Peter. He objected and said, I can't let you wash my dirty feet. You're my Lord. Jesus replied, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I am doing, but soon it will be clear to you. Peter looked at Jesus and said, you'll never wash my dirty feet. Never. But Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, Jesus responded, then you will not be able to share life with me. So Peter said, Lord, in that case, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head too. Peter is a kind of an interesting personality in Scripture. He's bold, right? He's passionate. He has a bit of a temper sometimes, which just kind of adds to the color of Peter. He cusses sometimes. He speaks his mind. He cuts ears off of people with swords. And you know, listen, you know he wasn't aiming for his ear, right? He's not that good, right? He was aiming for his head and the guy moved and he got his ear, right? And honestly, that's honestly Jesus' mistake because Jesus said, told them to bring a sword in the passage earlier. So what else do you do with the sword, right? So poor Peter, he's just doing what Jesus told him to do and Jesus rebukes him for using the sword. But Peter's this, this colorful character in Scripture, Peter has a firm grasp on who Jesus is. He knows exactly who Jesus is. He's fully aware that this is no ordinary man. 
He knew where he came from, and he had no problem with honor and submission to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, we see this. When Jesus asks asks his disciples, who do men say that I am? And then he turns and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter looks at him and what does he say? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter knows exactly who Jesus is. He has no problem submitting and honoring Jesus. Peter could see that Jesus, Peter could see, sorry, Peter didn't struggle with honoring Jesus, but he did struggle with another thing. Soon after his declaration that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus, it says, begins telling the disciples of what's in the future, that there's a cross in Jesus's future, that there was going to be a day that he was going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers, and that they were going to, uh, they were going to put him on a cross and that he was going to suffer. And when Jesus begins explaining these things, it says that Peter took Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. Like I said, Peter is an interesting character. Who rebukes the Son of God, right? Peter does, apparently. He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him, and he says, Lord, this will never happen to you. I will not let this happen. Jesus looks at him, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Talk about a bad day. Get behind me, Satan, that you don't have the things of God in your mind. Peter doesn't have a problem with honoring Jesus. He doesn't have a problem with seeing Jesus as the king, as the commander. Jesus has a problem, or I'm sorry, Peter has a problem seeing Jesus as a servant and a sufferer. Peter doesn't have a problem with honor. Peter struggles with accepting the love and the mercy of Jesus. So now, Jesus is performing this act of self-giving love by washing the feet of the disciples. But Peter can't accept it. Peter can't accept it because Peter has this issue with accepting the love and the mercy of Jesus. Why does he have this issue? Because as much as Peter understands who Jesus is, he equally knows and understands who he is. He knows his mistakes. Peter knows his faults. He knows his failures. He knows that Jesus is perfect and he knows that he is not. It's easy to understand that he's worthy. You notice that Peter doesn't object when the prostitute washes Jesus' feet. That's right. That's in order, right? She should wash his feet because he deserves the honor and the glory. But he objects. He has a hard time reversing those roles and allowing Jesus to then perform the self-sacrificial act of love of washing Peter's feet. You have to realize that in this narrative, that foot washing has very little to do with this interaction. That it's a symbol. 
There's something much deeper actually happening here. And verse 7 tells us, Jesus says to Peter, you don't understand yet the meaning of what I'm doing. But soon it'll be clear. That this isn't about washing feet. It's not about who's worthy and who's not worthy. It's about cruciform, self-giving love. It's about cruciform, self-giving love. Peter I'm not doing this because you've done anything to deserve it. I'm doing this because love is laying down my life for you. There is no greater act of love than to lay down your life for a friend. And Peter, I'm about to go to the cross and perform the most significant act of self-giving love in history. And if you don't learn how to let me wash your feet, then you won't learn how to let me give you mercy and grace through the cross. In verse 8, Jesus says, But Peter, if you don't allow me to wash your feet, then you will not be able to share life with me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Peter, you can only love me with the measure you allow me to love you. Church, that's so significant. You can only love me with the measure you allow me to first love you. Until we learn to surrender to self-giving love of Jesus, the self-giving love of Jesus, We may be able to serve him. We may be able to honor him. But we won't be able to be joined with him. Damon Thompson says this. He says, we cannot love God well feeling unloved by God. I don't think the church as a whole has a problem with honoring God. I don't think the church as a whole has a problem with revering the name of Jesus. I think the church as a whole has a problem letting Jesus wash our feet. We have a hard time fully embracing the ridiculous mercy and love of God. Hmm. Peter has this problem that I think we can all relate to, that he can honor and serve well, but he struggles to embrace the mercy and the love of God. Fast forward past this scene here through the crucifixion, through the resurrection, through Peter's three-time denial. And let's find ourselves now on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. We talked a little bit about this last week. Jesus is sitting on the shore of Galilee. And he's got a fire going and he's got breakfast cooking. Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter swims to the shore. We, we know a little bit of the story. 
John sees who he is, and Peter jumps in the water, swims to shore, finds Jesus. They hit Peter and the disciples, they share breakfast together, and they're all sitting around the fire. And then Jesus looks at him and he says this in John chapter 21, verse 15. He says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So feed my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. You probably all are aware, if you've heard anybody preach on this, this passage before, that there's, there's something happening in the Greek language that you don't see in the English. That there's two words for love at play in this scripture. There's the word agape, which we talked a little bit about already, which is the God-like love, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. This word love is in the scripture uh, is used for Jesus's love for the disciples, their love for one another, and Jesus's love for the Father. So this is the word that's always used when it's describing those things. Then there's also this other word for love called phileo. And this kind of love is similar to agape, but it's a more friendly kind of love. It's more like a love between brothers. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a high admiration for one another. It's, it's still a deep love, but it's not quite the level of love that agape is, the God-like self-sacrificing love. Interestingly enough as well, this word phileo denotes a kiss or a greeting. If you remember Judas, when he meets Jesus in the garden, betrays Jesus with a kiss. In Mark chapter 14, it says this, Judas says this, says, whomever I kiss, phileo, he is the one, sees him. So you have this wordplay happening in this passage. And here's how it looks. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter looks at him and he goes, Jesus, you know I phileo you. Jesus looks at him a second time and he says, Peter, do you agape me? Peter looks back at Jesus and he says, Jesus, you you know I phileo you. What's happening here? What, what is John trying to tell us with this wordplay, with, with what's happening here? I believe what he's trying to show us this is that Peter is saying, Jesus, I love you. But listen, I can't love you like you love me. I can't love you like you love me. Not after my failure and what I've done to you. How can I give you agape love when just few, a few days ago I abandoned you in your deepest hour of need? And then this happens. This, this, this happens here. 
a little bit later, after a little bit more interaction, John lo- or G- Peter looks over and sees John. And he goes, but Jesus, what about him? John, in the Bible, brags, right? In, in the book of John, he says, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I'm the disciple who is agaped by Jesus. This is the, this is the, the apostle who, um, who was the only apostle who stood at the foot of the cross while Jesus was being crucified. None of the others were there. He was the only one of the 12 that was at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. So here, Peter's saying, God, I, I, I can't, Jesus, I can't love you like you love me. What about him, though? Right? He didn't abandon you. He's the favorite one, right? And he begins comparing himself and how he can love God to another person who hasn't had as much failure as he's had. And so John or Peter is struggling here. God, how can I love you when I know that I've failed you? I can phileo you, but I don't know that I can agape you. But Jesus keeps being persistent. Peter, do you agape me? What is Jesus trying to say here? He's saying, don't let your failure change how much you think you get to love me, Peter. You think because John did it right, he's worthy of agape, but you're only worthy of phileo. But I'm here to tell you on the other side of your failure that you are worthy of agape. You are not, listen, you are worthy of agape because here's the deal. You are not empowered to love because you don't fail. You are empowered to love because I am the one who gives you the grace to love and you can agape me right now. We love him, church, because he first loved me. And if we have anything to give back to God, it's only because he has given it to us first. We can only spill out of our cup what he has poured into it. And if he is pouring into it agape, then no matter what we have done, no matter our failures, no matter our mistakes, no matter what it is that we think is hindering us from the love of God, it is nothing compared to the love of God for us that is in Christ Jesus. And even though we have failed, it is the grace of God that allows us to fail, not our perfection. We can love him like he loved us because he's given us the grace to love him. Hallelujah, church. That's so good. We love him because he first loved us. Now, it's interesting here. That third time, so he asked him two times, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, I phileo you. Then he says, Peter, do you agape me? Lord, I phileo you. And then the third time, Jesus looks at him and he says, all right, Peter, do you phileo me? Then it tells us that that third time, Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him, Lord, do you phileo me? Or Peter, do you phileo me? 
And Peter looks at him, he says, Lord, yes, that's, that's it, I filet you. One of the most amazing things about God is that even though his goal and what he wants for us is to get us here, he meets us where we're at. He meets us at the level that we are at. And so, Peter, if where you're at right now is phileo, then I'm going to meet you at phileo. I'm going to meet you at the level that you're at right now. But here's the deal. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to meet you where you're at right now. But I'm not going to leave you there. We see throughout Scripture that Jesus meets with prostitutes and he meets with sinners in the city. He meets with tax collectors and all of those things. And people, people almost brag about that. Jesus, Jesus hung out with the sinners, but here's the deal. He met them where they were at, but not just to leave them there. He meets them there so that he can bring them to agape. He meets them there so that he can take them from where they're at to where they belong. So in this passage, Peter's like, God, I, I know that you want me to agape you, but all I can do is phileo. And so Jesus says, all right, Peter, then I'm going to meet you at phileo. But ultimately, you're going to end at agape. In the next, next couple of verses, it says, that, it says that Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, when you were young, you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and people will take you by your hands and they will carry you where you don't want to go. And it tells us that he told him this prophesying of the death that Peter would ultimately face, which was crucifixion. And I don't know if in that moment, Peter maybe saw that as discipline. But what it really was, was a prophecy that, Peter, you may be at phileo right now, but I'm telling you that at the end of your life, the self-giving, God-like love that I poured out for you, you will have the opportunity to move past phileo and into agape as you pour out your self-giving, self-sacrificing love for me. Hallelujah. Church, the mature Christian isn't the one who never fails. The mature Christian is the one who fails forward. Is the one that after he messes up, instead of retreating, he runs to the presence of God. Ask, ask, uh, ask any married couple. If their marriage is strong because there's no conflict. Their marriage isn't, I see, I see some husbands going. <laughs> their mar marriage isn't strong because there's no contradiction and there's no conflict. 
marriages are strong because in the midst of conflict, on the other side of conflict, they grow closer together instead of further apart. You know, there was Peter, obviously he betrayed Jesus, but he wasn't the only disciple who betrayed Jesus. Judas, we know, betrays Jesus, right? But here's the deal. One of them, one of their life ends by hanging themselves. The other one on the other side of their failure swims to the shore when they see Jesus. Both of them deny Jesus. Both of them betray Jesus. One of them dies. The other one becomes the rock of the church. Both of them had conflict, but only one of them chose to fail forward. Only one of them chose, instead of retreating, chose instead to run into the arms of Jesus. Here's my message to you this morning. My message to you this morning is this. It's good to honor and revere the Lord. But we also have to learn how to allow him to wash our feet. We have to come to the realization that there is nothing we can do to earn his agape. There's nothing we can do to be worthy of his agape. It is only by the grace of God that we receive it. And it is only by receiving agape, self-sacrificing love, that we are then able to turn and love God with the same sort of self-sacrificing, cruciform love. That we can honor and we can serve, but to love God passionately and unfailingly, we have to come and accept the revelation of his agape love for us and his mercy for us. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Jesus. Father, I pray this morning that you would teach us how to submit to you washing our feet. Father, that we would submit to the revelation of your agape love for us. Father, that we would learn how to fail forward. That in our failures and our mistakes, we don't retreat into the disappointment that we have in ourselves, that we don't retreat into the, uh, the guilt and the shame. But instead, Father, that we would learn how to run into your arms. That we would learn how to submit our feet to you so that you can cleanse us again. 
I believe the, the ultimate goal for Jesus, or for, I'm sorry, the ultimate goal for us and what God is leading us into is not just eternal paradise in heaven, but that we would ultimately look exactly like Jesus. That we would ultimately be perfect as he is perfect and holy as he is holy. That God is, is moving us and patiently, long-sufferingly bring us, bringing us to that point. But the only way to get there is by submitting to the love of the Father. The only way to get there is to continually look into his eyes and see the love that he has for us. Father, I pray that of all the things that we do this year, of all the things we grow in this year, the one thing we would grow in the most is the revelation of your love for us. Father, that we would be able to see how deep, how wide, and how infinite your love is for us, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for agape. God, we thank you that you meet us where we're at to take us where you want us, Lord. We just give you glory and honor this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.